Hello and welcome to a special edition of The Week at War. We are not in the studio today, we're on the streets of Dublin and we're looking at artist spaces and finance capital in the city. It's based on a walking tour that I first developed with the artists Evelyn Broderick and with Kate O'Shea and we found that there's something about the actual physical buildings and looking at those buildings and then talking about those buildings in front of them that helps to try to explain something as abstract as flows of capital through the city and how artists are caught up in all of this. It means looking at state policy, including tax policy, the various development plans for the city and the way that artists have been treated pretty much as an afterthought um, in this whole kind of process. So we thought that we'd try and capture that today um, by, by taping ourselves on a tour itself. So it's myself and Aubrey Robinson and we start at Buckingham Street and we go to Smithfield. So yeah, that's, that's the show. Um, so sit back and I hope you enjoy our walk. There's a way of seeing these stories of all these kind of artists left in the studios, how we learn from the history of them as a, it's a narrative based kind of history. Can we draw kind of, you know, any lessons from the story of these kind of studios? Yeah. And that doesn't really kind of interest me. What I'm interested in is what are the underlying structures that are not revealed through ordinary experience. That means kind of digging deeper. It's about those flows of capital that routed themselves through these spaces. So it's where we're standing, first of all, of course, is um, it's on kind of Bucking Street, where just up the road from here was where Palace Studios had four corporation condemned flats. Uh, Palace Heights was the name of the project. But the real story of that comes from Foley Street, and I right, suppose then we'll, we'll ramble them kind of that way. So they had heard that, that this factory it was kind of closing down and that's where Palace um, Studios uh, starts. They took its name from the factory, Palace Kind of Knitwear. So who was it originally? Who were, the, who were you talking about? It was uh, Brian Duggan and Mark Cullen. They opened up in, in 1996, but in 1997, in March, planning permission is put in for number set 14 up to number 21. Okay, so it's the two parts of the block. It's, it's, it's two cool blocks here, yeah. yeah. So what we're looking at here now is that there's an old factory that is still there, and then to its left is like Ulysses House. Yeah. And that was number 14 to 17, yeah. and then 17 to like 21. That's the part that is still here. So in 2001, their lease was up, they were planning permission in, and they decided to kind of move on. That's where they end up eventually in uh, Palace Heights. So if you have this building now, if that's got planning permission for an apartment hotel, which is what it has at the moment for 91 apart hotel kind of units, yeah. you can get a loan based on the value of this because it's collateral is not yeah. a disused kind of factory. It's collateral is a 91 apart hotel in Dublin. So that's part of the game that's yeah. going on here as well. So when we see empty spaces or seemingly kind of vacant buildings. They're still being used, but it's been used in an abstract way in terms of capital, in yeah. terms of flows of the capital, and been able to borrow on the back of that kind of planning permission. Even if it's never built, it still has value once it gets kind of planning permission. It's in an area where it was being used for something, 
and now it has been used, but it's been used in terms of an abstract kind of monetary kind of you know kind of flows of a, of capital kind of you know kind of way. Um, it's not being used for what we see here. But like you've taken some some photographs of this. I mean, like what's your kind of thoughts on it? You know, I just find it mad that this that this is allowed to. I mean, as you say, it has a use. It has a purpose in terms of collateral, but. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's insane that, that this would be sitting here in the middle of a, of a city and allowed to be in ruin. There's a myth out there that's used that artists kind of gentrify kind of areas. Yeah. They don't. The plans are already in place yeah. and they're just in a gap. Um, yeah. But capital, but capital never stops. It waits, yeah. you know, and in those moments when it's waiting, that's when these flows are, are so like happening. So when, when plans are put on hold, you've got something that's sitting there and it's the time, okay, well, let's, let's keep it active. Let's, let's find some use for let's it. Let's find yeah. some use for it. So where next? Uh, bachelor's Walk. Okay. And we go to the story of like City Arts Centre. Perfect. Now the idea that you have people with almost no income <laughs> being expected to compete with huge international commercial interests <laughs> in the same space. You know? yeah. Okay lads, you have to compete with these yeah. um, you know, private equity funds. Yeah, you know, they're given enormous kind of make, tax Make breaks. an effort here, you know. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, exactly. If you don't want the city being completely stitched up by, you know, Cerebus, then, you know, you're going to start making some money from these paintings. Yeah, you know, and that's and like it's interesting that like there's a you know in the in the historic area a rejuvenation kind of you know project or harp that was launched in like in in like 1996. They talk about bringing artist-led kind of culture and kind of you know having like studios, but it's all based on kind of arts and crafts that sell to the tourists. Like you know, I mean, yeah. that was basically Definitely kind of what they were talking about. And you're talking decades of fight to get away from that idea. Yeah, exactly. To build know. a new culture of what, you know, a, a new thinking of what community arts is. It's that thing around, you know, art as something that can be sold and art as, this is me trying to explain how I think about how this world works. Yeah. You know, um, I have, you know, I, I think this is how the world works. It works in this way and not yeah. in that way. Yeah. And I'm not going to write about it. I'm going to show you in an abstract way how I think this world works. That's the kind of creative energy of it, you know? It's saying, remember, I'm not going to make it easy for you. You know, here's me like saying, remember, I think there are, there are issues here, but I want to do that in a very creative um, way that it really kind of challenges your kind of cliches, you know? But this isn't valued at all by city officials because it's just, you know, the city official mentality is we don't owe you a living. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, you've, if you're not commercially viable as a going concern and you can't get, you know, the limited arts council no. funding that there is, then like, it's not our problem. Exactly. In the same breath, they will say that we don't owe artists a like living, but we yeah. do owe developers a living. But if we're giving them land for free, yeah. or, or giving them enormous yeah, kind of tax, tax breaks, yeah. and when artists then kind of show up and say, just give us non-profit, cost-only kind of rents, they go, yeah. no, can't do that. No, Market no. must decide. They go, Absolutely. yeah, but you're making the argument. You are distorting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah this market which they and then saying it's a level playing field you know i mean yesterday the richmond road crowd got served so they're, they're out next thursday that is quick they're Jesus. out next thursday they were meant to be out in august and then it was july and now they're out next thursday 
But that's, I mean, that's, a, I mean, the correspondence, I don't know if you saw the correspondence, uh, I actually wrote it down. So the, the assistant chief executive of the council, Richard yeah. Shakespeare, so he, in correspondence oh, to them, he wrote, the fact that you find yourself in an unacceptable position where you have to find alternative accommodation and potentially go through an open and transparent process to gain access to city council property is your issue, not the city council's. The belief that the city council is a panacea to your problem is nothing short of astounding. At this moment in time, I do not see the need to discuss the matter further. I mean, that's an extraordinary it's just, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, that should be. But what I find, what I find astounding in the, in the Richmond Road situation is you have, so you have artists being turfed out and they have clearly no other place to go to. There's no other way. So they're yeah. just going to have to pause what they're doing or go overseas or whatever. At the same time, we know that it's, the cultural centers are shrinking all yeah. the time. Yeah. All the audits are, there's less and less studio spaces available for artists. So you have this, and instead of people, I mean, obviously you can't step in if you're a minister and go, okay, we're going to, we're going to address the, uh, the, the company that's kicking you out. We're yeah. not, you know, to, to, to get in the way of, of property rights being distributed. Yeah, okay, maybe I understand that you don't want to step in on that. But this is an immediately a crisis being observed, and no one's been voicing concern on this, yeah. apart from a few, Marie Sherlock from Labour and a couple of Social Democrats. Yeah. I don't know why the urgency to get rid of them, but I know the latest ruse is that they did a fire safety inspection and found that there was not compliant with. I mean, it's it's, but it's it's so traumatizing for the artists involved and the the whole way it's been gone about and the whole way of dealing with city council and the lack of supports. It's deeply disturbing. They did a protest uh, last Monday outside the, the city offices. Right. And you know, small attendance. I don't think there was any media there apart from the Irish Times but uh, Marie Sherlock was speaking about the, an audit that was carried out in the end of last year it was really interesting actually uh, in the audit I found that there were 2,500 uh, active artists in Dublin over the last 10 years and in that time there's only 392 individual artist spaces and there's probably a lot less now because that's over 10 years yeah we know that a lot of spaces have, have disappeared and 137 shared spaces and the audit found that there were 25,000 creatives in the city. So there's 25,000? 25,000 creatives, but, but only 10% of them are, are artists who use spaces. And only less than 400 actual spaces for artists. I mean, it's extraordinary. So this is 15 Bachelors Walks. So this, was, this is what they bought after they sold they sold, there. yeah. So, so City Arts Centre was unusual in that in the 1980s they actually bought their own building. From my reading up on it, City Arts was, was the lifeblood of community arts in Dublin in the 80s and 90s. Yeah. I mean, the absolute lifeblood. This was the, the key driving force of a kind of a left-wing, you know, quite protest-led yeah. community arts movement. There seemed to be trouble afoot in around 2000. I mean, it seemed to be that there was, in, there was issues around paying people. There was, yeah, you know what I mean? Like, um, it's a couple of key people left. Yeah. And, um, but he had this asset, which was the building. Like, the main person who's, who's brought in is Declan McGonagall, who had come from 
Edwin Mazim of Kind of Modern Art, who came from that gig to this one. And they commissioned a report on the future of like, community arts, as they called it. And like at the time, Bug McGonagall, he's writing theoretical kind of pieces about do artists need space after all? Which was quite handy because his idea was to sell the space which they had. The money gets spent in various ways. One was on more kind of commissioned kind of reports on their future. And then it gets spent on buying this building here, which is uh, 15. Practice work. Yeah. The City Arts Centre, it's, it's applying for grants to the Arts Council. And the Arts Council is saying, but you're not making anything. Like you don't produce anything. All you're doing is just reports. So naturally, the, the Arts Council says, no, we can't give you kind of any funding. And that's really then, that's the kind of final kind of nail or, or like coffin in it. For a while, NAMA or the state owned the City Arts Building uh, that's down on the Keys. And in 2015, those loans are sold off to a, a kind of multinational who's now kind of using it to develop office blocks there. Hmm. And it's in the high courts now, this big. It's in the high so courts, kind of, yeah. You know, so the City Arts lives on. It's just like caught up in legal. It is, and boundary. it's interesting in that, like, you know, it. It also dates, it's, it, it, it stops being used at the same time as Palace Studios. So roughly at the same time, two of these centres, Capital moves in, has, has plans for it. And its plans, you know, and in terms of its use, in terms as a building, but in terms of flows of the capital through that site itself, you know. But the idea that you'd have this, this rare space owned by artists. Yeah. And um, the first thing you'd want to do is just sell it off. Yeah, and like, you know, at the time, um, arguments were being made by, by some people. It were being made that, why are you selling off the entire building? Why don't you just, like, it's a, it's a two-story building. Yeah. And an argument was being made that, why don't you just sell the space over those two stories? Mm. Right, so that you keep the first two stories, yeah. and then the stories from three to nine, that's where you sell off. It's yeah. a space over. But the board of management obviously didn't go with it, you know. And when we're just selling off the entire building clean, there was kind of creative people there who had created kind of solutions but the, <laughs> to the, this to this issue, you know. But there does seem to have been a groundswell change you know, with Celtic Tiger era of this neoliberal arts. There's a couple of things happening. I mean, one thing I, I do know is that in the 70s and 80s, having a space in the middle of the city, artists could come and, and be in. But suddenly you had um, projects like Fatima. You had more community-based spaces. So yeah. there was actually a change in, you know, where, where art spaces needed to be used. I know that that's one of the arguments I've read about the changing nature so it's not just simply that you had a thriving community art scene and then it stopped because of a new mentality or funding model it was just that a lot of the people who might have been working on a kind of a city arts thing were then moving to more site-specific community arts engagement that it, it couldn't justify there wasn't there wasn't the justification anymore for the thing that was very much needed before 
at its most radical, the City Arts Centre was talking about housing, it was talking about kind of corruption. Yeah. It, was, it was putting on plays and, and exhibitions. Well, it was active the, in Wood Key and in that protest and all sorts. Yeah, 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 no, so it was very like, I mean, the, the, the city struggles and, and protests, it would have been a creative wing of that. And several people who are involved in city arts, I know, have, you know, went on to, to be very key to regeneration projects like in, uh, in Fatima. As well as saying that, it's clear that the likes of Declan McGonagall came with a different vision for the arts. I mean, he's quoted as being, you know, that, that maybe, maybe art's about reaching the middle classes in a different way. Maybe arts needs to, you know, it, it was a different, different approach. Yeah. So now we're across from what's now kind of Morrison Hotel, and this was the site of the Ormond Multimedia Centre in the mid-1990s. In, in 1996, the, the City Council writes a plan for this area called the Historic Area Rejuvenation Plan, or HARP. But talks about Ormond Key and the Ormond kind of Multimedia Centre, and says that um, we know that we have to have that we have a certain obligation to artists in the city and to the artistic life of the city to try and kind of cater for that. But the Ormond kind of Multimedia Centre that's going to do that for us. And less than a year later, after that, <laughs> there is an announcement that a, that the building is to be knocked down and a hotel is to be built on that's it. That's incredible. If you look back to Palace kind of Studios, what's being built on that now is an apart hotel. You have the Ormond kind of Multimedia Centre that was knocked down and a hotel kind of in its place. And then down in Smithfield, and when we get down there, we can see more and more that the plan that Harp had for the area is the one that played out, which is basically more tourists, more hotels, yeah. and, and tour buses, tour buses, and and hotels, and yeah. that was and that was pretty much it. So. Again, just going back to the construction thing, if you look at it from personal, personal kind of experience, it seems like it's just this unfortunate like, coincidence that all these areas have been turned into kind of hotels. But no, mm. the, the plans are there. But your point before was, the point you were making earlier was that it, it's not like you have all these artist spaces and other kind of ongoing concerns, these needs of the city, and then you have these commercial interests just kind of trying to get in there. Yeah. This, is, this is Dublin City Council actually actively making plans. Yeah, it would be impossible if it didn't have the backing of the council and of the various kind of departments. And because it's via kind of tax base, it seems abstract. But we're losing billions every year in tax funding that's going into this type of kind of activity. Instead of into very strong kind of socially cohesive activity. You know, the sense I get from a lot of people from their own experience is this is a city that doesn't like its citizens very much. And you can yeah. see how people feel that way. The citizens are like those little pieces of like shrubbery that kind of sprout up in the cracks in buildings, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and this is us as the citizens of the state trying to have some presence in this soulless concrete mess which they've uh, created. Hey, man. But now approaching Smithfield and the, the cobblestone, like the, the, the uproar around the demolition of the cobblestone, it's kind of, you know, I mean, that, that, that really hit a nerve, clearly. But I'm also thinking about it in terms of, you know, people see the cultural value of these 
well, particularly a pub like Cobblestone with its mm. musical heritage and everything, but it alarms me that there isn't the same feeling at all for artists. No. I just, like, I think the mainstream feeling now is that, you know, our arts come from Netflix and other places and, you know, the value of, I mean, maybe theatre is still valued, but I don't know, I don't know if painting studios, you know, I would imagine there was a very different reaction if this would have happened 20 years ago. Or I fear that the, you know, that it's harder to get people to, to fight this. In the audit that Dublin City Council did, okay. it said there was 126 buildings classified as multidisciplinary uh, community art centres, only 11 are developed to a standard sufficient for the production or consumption of professional cultural work. There's only 11 spaces in the city for, that, are, that are up to, st up to scratch, including the, the new Block T, but the complex is one of them. As being up to scratch? Up to scratch. So there's 11 in the city. So you have you know, the lights of Axis, Dublin Theatre Festival, Helix, Project Arts Centre, Shona Casey Centre, St Andrew's Resource Centre, The Ark, um, the complex. Kerry Guinan had her most recent one in there, you know, the, that was that's the, the one on the, the sewing, sewing machines. That looked great. It was great. Yeah, yeah I'm sorry really I missed good. that. It looked brilliant. It's a really good idea. Yeah, this is great. Mm. No cars coming through, you know, completely yeah. safe space. The most underrated, unappreciated plaque in all of Dublin. John Giles, international footballer, was born and raised in Ormond Square. Heroes come from here. Fantastic. So this is where Johnny Jaws learned how to hack down guys taller than him. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> so this is where it was. I fucking love that plaque. This is uh, Illigorman Square. Heroes come from here is such a beautiful turn of phrase. Heroes come from here. It's great. This is the site of the old uh, car tax office. That's right. It's now a hotel as well. But, yeah. but previous to this, this was the site of the pub that was owned by Dan Donnelly, heavyweight champion of the world. No way. Mm. There was a plaque to him on the old Immortal Tax office and somebody hoofed it when it was, somebody local has it hanging up in the jacks or something. <laughs> it was taken anyway. It's gas, like, this walk gets shorter and shorter each know, time. Yeah, yeah. So, so tell it's us, isn't it? So we're approaching Smithfield. Tell us the story about Linders. That like the Northumberlands in, in like Henry IV. These are the real kind of power brokers in terms of this area. Linders were, and still are, car dealers. They started off as a car dealership in this area in like 1940 and became known as Linders of uh, Smithfield. But in the 1980s, they start buying up land all around. Here. They seem to have gotten the kind of property bug then and uh, they start going into kind of partnerships with other developers from the mid to late 1990s onwards. Unusual for Dublin based kind of developers, they do not end up in Nana. They don't. Some of mm -hmm. their partners do. Um, so in the mid 2000s, they, they submit plans for, um, for kind of Smithfield kind of chambers and also they bought up police tiles yeah. that was next to it that's now on the corner there as well so when they got those two buildings they had that entire block 
and the Purdy Campaign Commission for that. They were granted it first, then some of the locals put in planning objections. They were still being heard when the crash happened. Just as we're walking by, there's another stag party kind of walking by because this is now the, this is the cultural centre now of Dublin, you know? And this is a residential area. There are houses, there are, I mean, there are family homes on yeah, the square. Yeah. And it's just turned into a piss park for, for Brits, like, you yeah. know? You have building sites all around with office blocks, you have those apartment blocks, and then you have what used to be an open square, which was used for important cultural, historical markets, has now just been cluttered with playgrounds and garbage, just to stop it from being a, a space. Well, I just got a quote from the HARP plan that I think is worth kind of highlighting, because. It talks about its, its vision for this area. So this is the plan before, before the music stopped and before Block T started and everything. This was the plan. It seems that a dumb corporation had a plan for this area, printed in, in, in like 1996, that seems to have had enormous input from others before it even went to print. And you can see here that um, it says that for, uh, for tourism, the Harp area, is not kind of benefiting from Dublin's current tourism boom. This is, this is August 1996. It needs to develop credible tourism facilities, such as hotels, their restaurants, and in the evening like entertainment, if sustainable employment is to be created. So even though this is used in part by creatives, their vision doesn't extend to, well, can we turn this into employment? When you look at the explosion in employment in the creative industries in the last 30 years, and there's still an attitude in Ireland that the creatives is a drain mm. rather than an actual kind of driver. Yeah. Even if you get into the gaming kind of industry, that is still a fucking cottage industry. So, in so even, even the creative industry that makes a lot of money and does very, does, does very well is, is completely undervalued. Exactly. So like at a time when the rest of the world was moving into kind of creative industries and seeing this whole thing and capital in Ireland has been put into property still. That's the only game. And you have, from 1997 until 2007, you have the greatest misallocation of capital in the state's history. Tens of billions of like euro that is misallocated into construction that, that just kind of blows up. At the same time when the arrogance of these people who are doing this are saying that we cannot invest in, in the creative industries because there's no money there. When you've got to look at the gaming industry now makes more money than fucking Hollywood. And Ireland's good at it. Just up there is Brown Bag Studios, the right. animation. I mean, that's a, that's a superb international animation studio. Yeah. yeah. When, the, when the boom went bust, the plans for Haymarket House, as now these two buildings are now called, they're put into, into kind of hiatus. And from what we can gather, I knew that a relative, either a, a nephew or a son of the Linders, approached them and asked them about maybe renting this building. Let me find it here. In the, in the same Dublin City Council audit of spaces, they give, they give examples, case studies of certain places. So one of the buildings that's given an example for is Block T in Smithfield, formerly Tully's Tiles, which closed in 2016. The ownership. Owner awaiting its development. Sun was very interested in the cultural co-op model to enable the building to garner a rent through its dereliction phase. 
successful in Tullys, the owner gave over Hay Haymarket House on one year leases until closed. And now we're standing in here in, in like 2022 with the building pretty much as the designs outlined back in 1999. So it's the same plan, it was just put on ice. The plan in 1996 for this area was to build a whiskey book museum, to build a tourist bus route that would go through kind of Smithfield and then back onto the Keys and then have here for pubs and, and, and for restaurants. Yeah. And we're standing here 28 years later, and that is exactly what yeah. we have here. There's absolutely, it did not miss a beat from yeah. it, you know? Well, that's, uh, that's, that's brown bag there. Okay. So, so Angela said yeah. Christmas, Vampirina, that's all there. There's a lot of big name stuff that they do on Irish TV, um, but it's a very good, successful studio. That's what Tom is. It's like that's the cottage industry here, yeah. and the main industry is office blocks. I started off this walk saying that this is about trying to recover those structures that we don't normally pick up on from everyday kind of experience. And I'm just wondering, you know, how have we done that, really? You know, so I mean, like I've talked a lot about the examples of stuff that is going on, and you know, isn't this bad? But I think that the overall kind of narrative is that. Um, this is not happening ad hoc. These plans have to be in place years, sometimes decades kind of before. And they need the state to be on board for it. It can't work out, it can't work there otherwise. So the state's role in all of this is not just as as is sometimes said, it's about kind of capitalism. If it was then brown bag would be the dominant business in Smithfield instead of office blocks and pissed up stagnites. You know what I mean? Like that was the business plan back in 1996. And despite the fact that the world changed, they haven't changed their vision kind of whatsoever. We're living in a vision of a future that was drawn 37 years ago. And the, that's a good point. And the world has moved on, but their vision of what the future will look like hasn't changed. It's a bit like an 80s eyelash shopping centre and you're there gone but this is what we thought the future yeah. would look like and so this is what we built. I mean my, my sense being like I was I I shared a studio space in Block T and at the time like it was great crack because it was a time of collapse and at that time we had some liberty in terms of being able to access space organize make work and it's just I think there was a lot of naivety around the time that this was just a temporary thing until the plans got re-engaged and there's a lot of frustration I think that there were no lessons from it that, you know there was no sense that yes there was some there was some good here about cultural creation at the time of collapse it was just all no nope. okay that we're done with that mm. out you go gone I mean looking around here I see people who are just pathetically grateful to have a little bit of a music thing to bring their kids to stand around like this is a quite an impoverished uh, vision of what this square could be used for yeah and I, and I think it's hard for people to imagine an alternative sometimes. My fear is that this becomes something that people go, okay, yeah, this is kind of good enough. You know, where are the other conflicting plans with the Linders plan, you know? Yeah, that's given as much kind of depth or you as know, much kind of energy as there. You know, where, where, is, where is the vision, the counter visions coming that actually get heard? Where does, where does kind of art kind of challenge? You well, know? This is the problem, and and, uh, and like like we know artists who do, yeah. So it is there, but in terms of let's say as a group, in terms of those kind of twenty five thousand, mm. 
that are involved in there that, that are all suffering from the same structural bias. Yeah. Um, but refuse to engage with it. I went looking for, well, what is the theoretical kind of apparatus that Irish artists use to make sense of the world? And I couldn't find any. Yeah. I couldn't find it. The closest I got was Declan Colin McGonagall talking about how we don't need spaces anymore. Yeah. That, that, was a, that was a dominant narrative. You know, even if, even if that's going to be yes, it's still a theoretical yeah. apparatus yeah. for understanding the and world. It, and it dominated NCAD when I was there as an, as a, as an ideology. I mean, I'm thinking about, like, you, you've got the likes of artists in Richmond Road who are being kicked out, and they just want to make work. They're exploring the world through a different language. It's not about a big, all-encompassing protest no. about what Dublin needs and what Dublin no, wants. No, they just want no, to be, no. they just want, you know, a cheap, an affordable space where they can access and make their work. Um, but there are others who, who proclaim to be more kind of looking at the big picture. And in that, it, there's, there has been an absence of joined up thinking. Like City Arts seems to be a great example of something that was a really good joined up thinking with a left wing bent, yeah. like had a vision for what it was and wasn't for in terms of the city. I mean, it's good, there's good examples, again, in Fatima, in St. Andrew's Resource Centre, in those kind of places where there was very, very site specific pushback against Dublin City Council plans. The ideology in NCAD, the dominant ideology in NCAD when I was there, was that uh, very few of you are going to become successful commercial artists, and the rest of you, good luck to you. I was looking up City Arts Centre, right, and one of the main people behind it was Sandy Fitzgerald, right, and he has a quote from Sandy Fitzgerald. The theory and philosophy began to develop that art couldn't maintain a separateness from society and the world at large. So they've got more involved in protest and in, in, in a social cultural space in rise of feminism and equality, you know, that, that there had to be an engagement, that artists had a kind of, were, you know, were, were part of the world at large. Yeah. So, the, you know, and from a community, you know, that's not all art, but from a community arts perspective, that's, that's, that became a strong philosophy of the City Arts Centre. Then we get to McGonagall at the point where he is stepping in, in around 2000, 2001. This is quotes uh, from the Irish Times. Some of the most deprived people culturally in our society are the middle class. One of the jobs can be in the future to empower the middle class. <laughs> Society is cry crying out for a civil culture. A civil culture means belonging to citizens. Whether they make it an experience or not, we're all in it. So there's a change there. <laughs> and I recognize that yeah. philosophy somewhere in the, the philosophy of NCD when I was there. So when we talk about why the Dublin arts scene has a responsibility of some degree and yeah, it's about it's about like 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 if we're talking about kind of you know art selection studios that you know it it means kind of engaging with those kind of structural dynamics that we've been trying to kind of uncover just today. Like and there are like again we have praxis which is the art selection kind of union now. Yeah. Now whether it turns into something more radical or not, that's another thing. But it has the potential to start dealing with the idea around planning law is important to artists. This is about how does a city work? Yeah. What's the dynamics of any kind of cultural city? Hmm. And you gotta have a part of that where, you know, where, where there's a space for people to film themselves trying to walk down steps on Absolutely. their hands and falling over. 
and, and, then, well, and then putting that up. You know? At its core is this idea that there have to be a certain amount of allocated artist studios in the city. And that, I don't think, has, that penny hasn't seemed to have dropped to the city no. council officials, that no. you actually have to have a certain number of spaces. And it's certainly not 390. There needs to be around kind of 1,200 spaces yeah. for artists in the city. So and there's 390 at the moment. Yeah. So, you know, so there's a huge kind of shortfall. The city loves transients when it comes to arts. Mm. It will give money to transients. It won't build for kind of infrastructure. Hey, what's the name of the, of the studio again that's here? Brown Bag. So it, it goes back to, there was no vision for something like Brown Bag in 1996 for this area. It was all like, we'll get t-shirts to sell in carols, right? Yeah. That was the idea of arts. That's where, the, that's how the, the, the future has kind of turned out. And they're still building yeah. the same vision of what yeah. Dublin should be. Yeah. That is actually 30 years out of date. It's yeah. from Dublin 30 years ago. And that's what we have here today. There's a story to be told about fucking OPW. Oh my God. It has to be. You. Let me tell you. That idea, that's a great idea. It just kind of really dawned on me when you're talking about it, just that, that these are old plans coming to fruition that are completely outdated. It's a vision of... It's incredible. Not just, not just Dublin city, but of any city. It's a vision of... What is it, 1996 again? 1996. So it's 1996 Dublin now coming to fruition yeah. in a completely different world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, incredible. you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an anachronism waking up. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. it's... it's um, incredible. It's, it's Austin Powers, <laughs> you know, showing off, going, okay, baby, where am I? This is, this is 2022. Let's build office blocks. What? You know? We'll build office blocks and charge them $1 million for it. That's it. It's fucking, oh, it's, a, it's a 1990s fucking Austin Powers. A Dublin, not only that, a Dublin Austin Powers. Waking that. up. I love that. That's a fucking, fucking hilarious. hell. Okay, baby. Oh. Yeah. Office blocks. So I meant to say that, by the way, that the city, the, so um, the city arts building, it's um, Colony Capital were the ones that got it off the NAMA. Okay. Right. So um, Colony um, Capital, the, the big um, um, private equity fund, the big vulture fund. So Colony Capital, right, were the reason why, one of the reasons that's being held up in the courts is because um, Paddy Kelly, or one of the lads, has been making claims. He was looking for more uh, correspondence from them because his claim was that they were using it for a tax squeeze. They were holding on to it purely for a tax squeeze. They were able to write down their... Uh, they, were, they were able to use the valuation, they were able to fluctuate the valuation in order to write down tax. Going back to a point around kind of, uh, yeah. you know, kind of Foley Street again. Yeah. It's incredible. Just what these spaces are used for, yeah. you know? So this, this, this building that's like which had a fire in, in, in 2011, yeah. which is just kind of like this derelict that, yeah. eyesore, is being used by a vulture fund for, to write down its tax obligations. <laughs> I mean, it's got everything. It's one of the big six or seven of the private equity funds that moved in and swooped in to, oh. to buy up NAMO portfolios. Colony's interest in the property came via its acquisition of 455 million of, uh, in 2017 of NAMA's 1.5 billion uh, Project Tolka loan book. The transaction saw Colony take control of loans mainly linked to developers Paddy Kelly and, and the late John Flynn and the McCormick family who controls the property investment vehicle Alanis. So they were the ones who were trying to, who made the, who, who bought, who purchased it, it for... It bought it in 2007. That's so, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. 
and they used an Anglo loan, and it was the Anglo loan that fucked them, as it always is. Yeah. So yeah, just I keep going back to just that thing around that kind of structural thing is that like this is about kind of artists like in the studios, but it's also about flows of capital, mm. and that it's a good way of of exploring it because yeah. by necessity, that's where artist studios end up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They end is. up in yeah. those moments where the capital is in hiatus, where it's it's caught between at that moment where it's made the plan yeah. and is waiting for the investment money. Yeah. And that takes years. And in that space, the artists kind of move in and then they get blamed. They get blamed for being kind of fucked over. You know what I mean? Like, well, we've, we've both been interested in the physical geography of, of capital. You know, the physical nature of it, not just the theoretical or the others, like the, 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 the buildings, the, the thing. And, and it's a perfect way for that to be seen. It brings them all together, you know? And, um, and then, the, you know, when they get almost the, the gaslighting that, it, that then kind of goes on saying that, oh, you're being forced out because you've made this area trendy. Mm. It's all your fault. Don't mention that. Austin Powers had his fucking plan for the for Smithfield back in 1996. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> wakes up and gets in his jet and here it is. I mean, what a bland, unimaginative I know, it's, it's, vision no, it's of, what a, a, of what a city should it's be. It's such a shit plan. Such a shit. We'll build, uh, like, we'll have tour buses and, and so office blocks. Miserable. And that's it. Yeah, that's, that's, that's your vision. That's what we have. This is an outdated, backward, visionless city. <laughs> and on that point. <laughs> First thing we do, kill all the lawyers. <laughs> Henry IV, is it, I think it is? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so...